Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. They'll warn that tyranny is always lurking just around the corner. Conspiracy theories. You should reject these voices. You are free to do as we tell you. You are free to do as we tell you. But I want to say one thing to the American people. It's a big club. And you ain't in it. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all. Outrageous conspiracy theories. You should reject these voices. I want to say this to the television audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. You are free to do as we tell you. Because people have got to know whether or not their presidents are crooks. Well, I'm not a crook. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy of Beard World Order. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of the Beard World Order. I am your co-host, Guillermo Jimenez of TracesOfReality.com. With me, as always, is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com and Tom Secker of SpyCulture.com. Fellas, how we doing tonight? Or I guess it's only tonight for me and Tom. How you doing this morning, James? <laughs> uh, not too bad. Uh, the beard's coming along quite well, so I think uh, I think my membership in this organization is uh, good to go. <laughs> Excellent. How about yourself, Tom? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm fine. I still haven't cut my beard, so yeah, it, it's currently running running wild and free and long <laughs> and bushy. Excellent, excellent. Good to hear. And so, <laughs> well, I guess first of all, I, I do want to thank our audience for tuning in. Uh, for expressing interest and wanting to hear more from the three of us. This is our, our third roundtable discussion. So in a way, this could actually be considered episode three of the Beard World Order. I guess one, one could make a reasonable argument that that is the case if one were inclined to argue about such things. Uh, nevertheless, the three of us uh, were gathered here again. So uh, we're going to talk through some issues that are on our minds presently. Uh, before we get into it, though, I think we should probably at least discuss briefly the name of this podcast and how that came about. Uh, the last time we got together, um, you know, we mentioned we need a name for this, uh, for the podcast going forward. And so we asked for suggestions from the audience. And I think it was James, uh, who as a joke, I think, anyway, <laughs> said that if, it would be best if it included the word beard in there somewhere. And that's what we ended up going with. Um, we nearly call, called the show Angry Beards, which I still quite enjoy. Uh, there were a few others that were pretty clever, uh, but we ultimately landed on this, the BWO, the Beard World Order. Uh, Tom, do you want to just quickly explain to the people out there the origin of the title? What's the Beard World Order, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for an impossible question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think Basically, I mean, it, it was your idea, though, no? so I'm just wondering, you know, why why you think that's an appropriate name for this podcast? <laughs> it wasn't my idea. It was a suggestion from a friend who is a ah, listener. Ah, okay. And, Excellent. Excellent. And when, I, and when I ran it by several other friends who are also listeners, they all thought that Beard World Order was a good name. I, I'm assuming I, it's an homage to Food World Order. <laughs> well, it's that sort of... Oh, yeah, and, and New World Next Week and other plays on the whole New World Order thing. I think it's a phrase that warrants being subverted and in particular mm. if you can subvert it in a sort of mocking way that maybe takes some of the bite out of it and takes some of the hatred and the fear out of it like this i think that's all to the good no it is on my in my books yeah 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 i agree completely and like i said i think it's a very fitting name for the podcast i i, I guess 
angry beard would have been uh, just as fitting in some ways sometimes. But <laughs> I am glad we've got, we went with Beard World Order. I, I like the play on words. Uh, I like the beard reference. And, uh, you know, I think it lets the audience know, as you said, Tom, that, you know, we, we, we may as well, we may well, very well uh, throughout our conversations venture into the realm of conspiracy from time to time. And but mostly it's all in good fun. And, you know, we might raise some serious issues, but we talk about them in an utterly unserious way, which honestly, that is my favorite way to do it. Um, and besides, this is a global show after all. You know, I'm in South Texas, USA. James is in Japan. Tom is in England. So in many ways, this is a, this is a, a globalized podcast. So <laughs> hence the Beard World Order. Um, and that is the name of the show. So should any of you have any other questions about it, uh, direct them to Tom Secker. That's uh, <laughs> Thomas Secker at... No. <laughs> By the way, Tom, quick, I'm still getting weird emails from you. You should really get that fixed, man. <laughs> No, clearly, clearly, that particular email address has been subject to. It's been compromised. No, yeah. yeah. So no, I'm going. I'm moving all of my accounts that are on that email address over to other email addresses, and then I'm just going to ditch it because clearly uh, that is not a secure place to have an email address. <laughs> you know what it is, don't you, Tom? You know what it was. Is the last time we did a show, you were bad mouthing anonymous, and then where, <laughs> there you go. That's I think. Hope you've learned your lesson. <laughs> I, and oh, here I thought it was GCHQ. <laughs> it may have been GCXQ as well. Yeah. Well, same difference. <laughs> uh oh. Now you're going to get that attacked even harder. There you go. Well, yeah. well, given that they've been buggering around with my email address twice in the last month, I mean, hey, you know, what more can they do? They're only anonymous. <laughs> do you want to stoke the flames a little more, Tom? <laughs> no, no, I think I've already done that. <laughs> Okay, anyway, well, okay, I guess we'll, we'll jump right into it from now. So uh, as for our topic today, for the topic of discussion, uh, there are many different ways to sort of frame it or to phrase it. Uh, when discussing it initially, James, you, you called it uh, uncorking the bottle of conspiracy. Uh, Tom, you referred to it as uh, nihilism in the truth movement. And I, I sort of like to think of it within the framework of that famous uh, John Milton quote, which in the free and, and open exchange in the marketplace of ideas, the truth will rise to the top. But also, crazy people. Lots and lots of loud and crazy people. Uh, he didn't say that last bit. That was me. But you get the idea. Uh, so, James, uh, I think you should get us started with this one. So, could you explain to the people out there what we're talking about here? What, what's the issue as you see it? Well, I guess the issue is that when we have when we start really undergoing a thoroughgoing critique of mainstream narratives of official history, um, we obviously come up against the old refrain, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist and people will turn off and not really check into it. And that we can psychologize the various reasons that people do that and because they're, you know, they're comfortable with their life, they don't want to question the status quo, they've been taught to, to believe that anything approaching the conspiracy realm is just crazy and should be avoided, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We can, I'm sure everyone's heard discussions like this in the alt media for many years, mm -hmm. like I myself have and have participated in as well. But there's kind of a flip side to this, which is when we start doing that thoroughgoing critique and start really questioning everything as the phrase goes, um, well, it does, of course, leave open the door for uh, for things that, that really just go off into complete craziness. And mm. I think the interesting there's a few interesting parts of this for me um and i i don't i don't know if i should put them all out on the table at, f at first or not but <laughs> let's just start by taking a look at um 
the idea, for example, that uh, when you start to uncork the bottle, as I put it, um, and all this stuff starts to come out, and some of it will be valuable, some of it will not be valuable, but it, uh, it almost is kind of like that idea that... Um, that has been iterated by all of the would-be controllers of society for, at the very least, many decades, um, going back to people like Leo Strauss and others who have talked about the need for some sort of controlling narrative, um, mm. the, 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 the noble lie and, and myths that, uh, that help to construct sort of a, an overarching reality for, for, the, for a community, for a populace to, to live under, that will help to create that sort of common cultural language that they can speak in and uh, and history that they can all go back to and and that is important for from the the would-be rulers perspective to have that overarching narrative that they they can always tie things back to um and when you start to to question that when you really start to to pry that open um it will unleash all sorts of just craziness that that <laughs> that that i suppose exists at all times but it usually stays kind of under the surface of of society but i think we are at the point at a tipping point where i i really do think that the uh, the alternative media is having a profound effect on on the mainstream discourse right now and that truly is starting to open this up to things that are quote-unquote crazy and of course that's problematic in and of itself because who decides where that crazy line is and i think exactly. everyone has a different line for that what what they think oh now that's crazy now you know 911 truth is is fine but uh, and uh, and 77 truth is fine but when you start questioning a x y or z now that's crazy and and so everyone will have uh, this argument at some point even the people at the furthest of the fringe will find something <laughs> that they'll go no that's too far and yeah. uh, where do we draw that line? How do we have a discussion about that, especially in a community like the quote-unquote conspiracy community that it is constantly for framing anyone with any different idea as themselves as, oh, you must be a government shill, you must be a government <laughs> operator. So, I mean, it, it, it complicates everything to the point where unless you find someone who agrees with you on everything, where <laughs> that crazy line is and what's within that and what's outside of that and who's within that and who's outside of that. Unless we can agree on everything, then, then clearly you're some sort of government operator. And, uh, and I think that this ultimately could very much work to our detriment because in the end, does that leave us all as these atomized, completely atomized individuals who have our own unique worldview and cannot collaborate with anyone on anything because we're too busy fighting with each other on where that crazy line lies, etc. Um, if this is part of a coordinated agenda to insert craziness into the quote-unquote conspiracy community in order to um, in order to create these types of problems, then I'd say it's been exceptionally effective, but I'm sure that a lot of it actually comes from real individuals so I, I just put a lot on the table there's a lot to discuss there so you guys can pick it up wherever you want let's <laughs> let's start tearing into no, it no indeed the subjective nature of it all is a gigantic can of worms as you said you know one man's crazy person is another man's truth teller so that is a very interesting thing to kind of dissect but uh, in general tom i want to get your thoughts on this just kind of in the opening here uh let's just lay it all out and then we'll kind of come back to uh, the various things we're kind of putting out there uh, piece by piece, or as much as we can anyway. Uh, but Tom, your, your thoughts on this generally, man? Well, one thing that really struck me about what James was just saying, he, he did just lay an awful lot on the table there. <laughs> um, but is, is the, essentially, if you like, the absence of a even widely accepted standard of what, it, what truth is in the truth movement and whether or not it's even correct to call it a truth movement when there is no dis when there, sorry there is no agreement on what constitutes truth and 
there is this this problem of because we've been told an awful lot of stuff that frankly isn't true and some of it is outright lies and some of it is just very much grayed and fudged that when you discover that and when you learn to become skeptical of that and when you learn therefore to never take things like that at, at face value ever again you are then left with the question of well what do i believe and how do i in the space left by that skepticism construct something that is meaningful and truthful at least to me and in my life um you're left with the question of how to do that and of course most people who are coming into this movement who are going through that process that i've just described most of them have very little experience of how to do that precisely because they've grown up in a world where they're fed intellectual junk food through the public education system through mass media through advertising through all the rest of it so they don't really have the i don't know the equipment perhaps or <clears throat> no they do have the equipment i think because everyone has it mm. pretty much everyone um they don't have the know-how of how to use that equipment because quite often they've got through to 25, 30, 40 years of their life without have ever really having had to use it before because they've just gone along to get along. And so that's the quandary, I think, that's facing a lot of people. Would you agree that when you have that perfectly right skepticism towards things, you're then left with a, what do I construct in its place? And people are looking around all over their place for what to fill that hole with and often looking mm. in the wrong places for the answer to that. And so that's when the craziness comes in. And because there is no... Uh, I'm not saying there has to be an overarching absolute standard of truth in the truth movement. I'm just saying there doesn't really seem to be any that's agreed on even widely, let alone by everyone. So in the absence of that, there is no obvious protection against the craziness. That's my kind of initial reaction to what James just said. Hmm, well, no, go ahead, James. Yeah. Well, I just, I just want to say because you just spurred a thought in myself that... It, it maybe at the end of the day, this isn't a quest for finding that bedrock truth. Maybe it's a quest for finding how far down the down into the hole we can dig ourselves. I mean, it might not be a a, a race to 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 the top to try to find that creme de la creme of the truth, the the, the the nuggets of truth or what have you. Maybe it's just a quest to see. Well, how much can we question? I mean, can we question? everything and how far can we extend that so it's mm. almost a race to the bottom to try to find you know who who can go the furthest by oh yeah well i think <laughs> i think yeah. that, that that didn't even happen i think i think right. the, the the entire globe except for the the hundred square miles where i've lived my life the entire life is doesn't exist or, or you know i mean <laughs> it's a hologram yeah uh, yeah all, all it's it's a level of one-uppedness also within media of course that in this in the way that this is we talked about this previously just the, the very nature of media the way it's structured, especially commercial media, when it becomes a commodity uh, and you really have to sell it to people to, to get all those clicks and hits and views and whatnot, uh, you really, it, it necessitates that, that sort of one-uppedness where if you were to put something out there, say about, I don't know, let's bring it, let's bring it back out of the abstract into sort of something concrete like, let's say, 9-11 or 7-7, you know, both topics of interest, of course, for, for all three of us, but... Um, with something like that, you know, one could put out there, well, you know, 
Uh, that official narrative with 9-11, you know, demonstrably is not true. It's, it, you can go and pick it apart, and then someone else will come around and say, well, okay, I'll see your, you know, not not likeliness, and I'll, you know, one-up you with, it, the, there were never any planes. It's all movie magic and what have you. And we, we saw a lot of this, of course, uh, with... Uh, you know, in in the aftermath of of the Boston Marathon bombing, this is really this is really what went to me. It became the most obvious, and perhaps there are other examples that predate this. But um, right now, that I can think of anyway, that's when really I first noticed this. Maybe with Sandy Hook as well. Um, when I first noticed that, wait, so there's something going on here where it's just getting to the. It's really going to an unbelievable extreme. And I sort of wonder sometimes to what extent, uh, as you said earlier, you know, there is some level of intentionality here, uh, whatever driving force it might be. But uh, absent that, just the just the, the way the you know the Hollywoodization of our of all culture of our minds by extension, uh, and 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 by because of the you know the the, the sort of uh, new technology that's out there, the fact that what we can look at a movie and see all kinds of crazy CGI, the things that look very realistic now, uh, with the with the technology that's available, that it's not it's sort of not beyond the realm of possibility at least. It's the it's within some level of reason that it could be staged to that extreme because we have the technology now to do such things so perhaps that that is a in a way leads to uh what we see now with you know jumping to just the craziest conclusions um for you know a variety of reasons that i just kind of laid out there but uh, i'd like to get your all's thoughts on that perhaps again maybe we can talk about a couple of concrete examples um i'll throw it to james first anything that um, happened recently. I, I, I just threw out, you know, Boston and, and Sandy Hook, but anything else that you might want to discuss as an example of what we're talking about here? Right. Yeah. No. I think that's the logical question for this conversation. What is your crazy line? If everyone does have <laughs> sure. one, right? No. Yeah. Exactly. And I've been thinking about this for for years now. I, I've been thinking about this for for going back towards the beginning of when I started into all of this because I've kind of watched this. But it really has been in the last couple of years that I've really started to to really wonder about this and wonder, you know, how, where people's discernment is at. And I've had certainly my, my problems with that in the past, but I think it's really been amplified and specifically around those events that you're talking about. And, uh, uh, f- just on the note of CG and manipulation and, you know, what what could be created, I, I myself have to question sort of the latter day Osama bin Laden videos. They do not look real to me. I mean, they look actually digitally manipulated and i have no well i have some basis for saying that i mean we've mm-hmm. got uh, neil krowitz's uh, analysis of the, the the digital layers showing that uh, for example the watermark was supposedly added at the same uh, level and time that uh, the intel uh, intel intel something or other um tomkin fill me in on that the, the group that was releasing it and it was putting the watermark of the al-qaeda watermark on at the same time or so um, that analysis uh, indicated, although he uh, went on to immediately retract that the next day. So very interesting. Anyway, um, long story short, yeah, I think there are a very real elements to that. But then when it goes towards, you know, uh, everything that we saw, you know, on 9-11 was, was faked in a, in, a, in a sound studio or whatever, you know, mm. in a, in a uh, video studio. And I, I, I mean, that's, that's part of my crazy line. Um, 
But but I think yeah I I guess uh, certainly going back to the the holograms on nine eleven and things like that that's part of where where my crazy line lies. But I, as I say I, I think in recent years it's the uh, the crisis actors meme has really uh, it just baffled me how it's caught on so so completely in the uh, in the quote unquote truth movement to the point where it's it's almost assumed that this is the case now and. Um, and again, I have to say that there were elements of this that I bought into. Um, going back to 9-11, I, I noted, for example, Harley Davidson, man. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. For the listeners who don't know about this, just type it into YouTube and you can watch. I believe it was a Fox News. Or, I'm not sure it was Fox. I, I can't remember what outlet it was, but they were interviewing this man on the street um, in the wake of the, the collapse of the towers. And he was wearing a Harley Davidson cap and T-shirt, and that's why he's Harley Davidson man. Mm-hmm. And uh, and talking about um, the way that the towers came down, and and the way that he described it, the way he was talking, it just really did sound like a script. And he did, I mean, he was wearing this very pristine-looking shirt. I mean, just there was something about it that was very off, that seemed very strange. And I myself bought into that for many years, and uh, and I, I really think that was the beginning of the Crisis Actors meme, because I, I remember watching that that Harley-Davidson man interview develop, and then people started looking for who is this man, right. and they tried to identify him, and there was people who thought they found him in some um, part-time actor in Vancouver, and they found his Facebook and everything, and look, he kind of looks vaguely identical, or vaguely similar, <laughs> and, uh, and they were trying to f- say it was this man, this actor was actually this Harley-Davidson man, etc., blah, blah, blah. And uh, and when it started to get into that, I thought, well, that's that's just kind of crazy. I don't, I don't. It doesn't really look like him. There's absolutely no way to to prove that. I, there was no evidence for this. It's just that people kind of thought it. So I thought that was a bit strange that that people were getting on board with that. And uh, and just as a side note to that, I just found out recently, Harley Davidson man has been identified, positively <laughs> identified, uh, and that's something that it's it blows me away that this this has been sitting there all this time that I didn't even know about because uh, of all the chatter surrounding this. But um, in the clip, he's identified. I can't remember by his name, Mark something or Mark Davis or something like that. And uh, and it turns out this is in fact a well known. Fox correspondent, he uh, an off and on correspondent back in 2000, 2001, 2002, who was actually on the Opie and Anthony show, of all things, as Psycho Mark. Um, people can look that up. Um, and that was the guy. That was him. And uh, there's no doubt about that. There's a video I just saw recently about that. So hopefully we can include that in the show notes. Sure. Um, but that, that kind of blows my mind that that, that absolute identification the actual identification of this man it 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 is him there's no doubt about it uh was completely lost in the chatter of these people who were hunting down this you know actor in vancouver and all of this so uh so that was pretty disappointing and then of course this develops into the crisis actors meme whereby apparently um according to to this theory there are literally there are troops of actors that the government <laughs> hires to go around to various different staged events that never happened, of course, like the Boston Marathon bombing. Mm-hmm. There was no bomb. It was all a fake. Um, and, and apparently these same group troops of actors are being used time and time again to stage these events. Um, I know that there are um, groups that, that do participate in staged drills and things of this right, nature. Right. But the idea that the, these actors are being actively employed at time after time in, in these staged events, phony operations, psyops, um, is it, just so ludicrous to me. Um, if you were 
I mean, just think of it from the CIA's perspective or whatever it is. You have bajillions of dollars to spend on your black ops. So you're going to go to publicly available groups of actors and use them time <laughs> and time again, the same actors at event after event, um, because you think this is going to accomplish something. I mean, to me, that is just so far beyond the uh, what would be even be thinkable in terms of what the government would do if they were going to stage some some type of psyop like that. Mm-hmm. It just boggles my mind that people buy into it. And then, of course, I've seen all the the manipulation and deception that these people use um, in terms of literally faking photographs of screenshots of uh, television uh, coverage to take the same photograph and put it so it looks like they're showing it in the Boston Marathon bombing coverage and the Sandy Hook coverage. Oh, it's the same person, the same right. photograph, the same, but it's actually been um, created, staged. Those, those photographs have been staged to make it look like that was happening. I mean, again, it just gets crazier and crazier. And unfortunately, I see a lot of people buying into it. And I guess, I, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I certainly have something invested in this because, of course, I have been called an actor who actually lives <laughs> in Arizona. I am apparently actually an actor who lives in Arizona who has fake uh, gap in, inserted in his teeth. I have regular teeth, but I put a fake gap in there. Uh-huh. And uh, and uh, I, I don't know who else I played. I think I, I played an actor at the uh, Occupy Wall Street uh, protests and things like this. So I know there are crazy people out there who truly do believe that I am an actor and probably one of these crisis actors. Mm-hmm. So I, I know firsthand 100% it, it is craziness. Um, these people who say that they have identified positively these people as actors are crazy. They are literally talking out their posteriors uh, <laughs> if they are not just lying outright. And for anyone who does believe I'm an actor in Arizona, I always encourage them, please go find me in Arizona. Please go to Arizona to go look for me and <laughs> leave no stone unturned because I'll be safely halfway around the world. But, uh, but that's, that's where I think, you know, this crazy line comes into sharp perspective for me. And, you know, they probably think that of you, James, because you doubt the crisis actor meme as part of, <laughs> yeah. as part of the reason. Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of a, a weird little <laughs> kind of a cycle there. Uh, but no, I know, Tom, I know you have plenty to say about this specifically. So I want your, your thoughts on this. But also I wanted to say uh, just quickly that um, the, when, while you were talking, I was sort of thinking about this. And it, 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 it seems like this sort of crisis actor stuff, um, even, if there, even if it were true or there was any element of truth in it, what does it actually add to the broader narrative? You know what I mean? Like, what does what does Harley Davidson man add to figuring out what actually happened on on September 11th in New York? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's it just seems like a worthless piece of tabloid sort of uh, news, if you want to call it that. Uh, no matter any, you know, no matter how you slice it. So that's just one 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 of the quick things I wanted to throw out there. And, and secondly, uh, the fact, as you mentioned, James, that there is some sort of basis in truth to the crisis actor meme, uh, because uh, there there are you know uh, these sort of uh, you know mock drills uh, that do take place, and you know to prepare for what have you prepare a certain a certain region. I remember witnessing. A couple of them firsthand while I was a student at the University of Texas in Austin, uh, just walking, <laughs> walking to class. Uh, and there was this sort of like weird mock drill happening where there were people pretending to be injured uh, on the ground. And there was an, like there were like, these EMTs there, you know, pretending to help them and, and carry them away. So 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 there is this sort of element of truth within this craziness, which is what gives it legs to begin with. And I suppose that that could be said for for a, a lot of different things that, that we could see here. 
Uh, I mean, I suppose it's not even, <laughs> it's not that much unlike, uh, I don't know, someone maybe using uh, quantum physics and uh, science based in cognition and perception to arrive at the conclusion that the world is run by lizard people. It's not it's not unlike that, I feel, <laughs> because there is some, you know, element of truth in the logic behind it. And it can, you know, take it can you can come at whatever conclusion you want. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to throw that out there. Tom, your thoughts on this, man. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, <clears throat> let me say that, I mean, one of the things that we have to bear in mind with all of this is something you said earlier, Guillermo, about the Hollywoodization of it in as much as these kinds of ideas have not just sprung from nowhere. This isn't just some weird byproduct of the Internet age. If you look at some of the movies in the 1990s in particular, um, I'm specifically thinking of three. Uh, there's The Truman Show, in which everything is a fake for, for the sake of a television show, mm -hmm. and that nothing that the main character is actually experiencing is real. It's physically real, but it's all a setup. It's all taking place on a custom-built island for a TV show. So you've got that that plays into the notion of not only the kind of all-encompassing, overarching conspiracy, whereby everyone is an agent and everyone's part of this conspiracy against you, but also the notion that everything is sort of ultimately being faked. Everything is a hoodwink. Um, you also have a film I was actually talking about a couple of hours ago for the next episode of my podcast. You have Wag the Dog, a film in which they, the White House spin doctor teams basically fake a war, an entire war in Albania, and so that plays into the whole notion of just how far can you go with media fakery in terms of big political events. And you also have, um, what's it called, Lo The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is a film that sort of, in some ways, predicts 9-11, and it makes reference to the CIA's involvement in WTC 93, and it's quite an interesting film for that. And there is a line in that where at the climax to the film, they are going to basically carry out a massive false flag terrorist operation to blame on Muslims. And the, if you like, lead conspirator says something like, You're going to stage an operation to scare some money out of Congress? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but the guy says something like, uh, we can't fake killing 4,000 people, so we're mm. going to have to do it for real. So obviously the implication is if they could just fake it, then they would. And so all of these kinds of things were bouncing around in the mass culture and in the sort of mass culture that conspiracy theorists would watch um, in the years before 9-11. So it's not that surprising once you get the internet amplifying everything after 9-11 um, to see this kind of stuff emerge, I don't think. But I agree with everything James said about this being part of my craziness line, because I saw this with 7-7 and, and the investigation into that, and you actually saw the same little group of people who were really pushing this after 9-11 also pushed it with 7-7. Mm. And there was one figure in particular who they called Bandage Man. Do either of you remember this guy, Bandage Man? He yes. got a lot yep. of attention in the early days of the 7-7 Truth thing. And he is just a guy with a bandage on his head who could, I suppose, in theory, could be an actor. But there's no... No one's found out who this guy is. No one's been able to prove that he was an actor. And the only person who reports seeing him do something suspicious is himself a very suspicious character who wrote a book that is half fiction and half supposedly real and has gone around, shall we say, making some rather ludicrous allegations about 7-7. Seven -seven. 
and he claims to have seen this man, this bandaged man, uh, kind of hurling himself to the ground and making a big fuss in front of the cameras and that there was nothing actually wrong with him. And so all of this feeds into... Um, it feeds into itself. It's kind of, um, to a certain extent, self-generating. Because like you said, Guillermo, none of this really adds an awful lot. Even if this guy was an actor, what does that tell us about 7-7? It's a pretty big leap to go from this one guy was an actor mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. the whole thing was right. completely staged. No, that was the, that was the crux of the whole 7-7 right. operation. Without <laughs> Bandage Man, it would have that. all fallen apart. <laughs> yeah, this guy who appeared in like 15 seconds of news footage. I mean, so what? <laughs> so... Yeah, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't add anything to anyone's perception. It doesn't make anyone's life any better. It doesn't add anything to their understanding of either the specific event or generally the world and how things are really going. So it just sort of leads them back into this place where they can't really believe anything because they don't really have anything to believe on top of that. So, like I say, it all sort of feeds into itself. It's all, to a certain extent, self-maintaining and self-generating. So... There again, not that surprising to see what was a fringe, very much a fringe thing after 9-11 and 7-7 become mm-hmm. a much more mainstream thing after Sandy Hook and Boston, would be my thinking. Yeah, and I wonder to what extent, you know, again, the, the sort of uh, uh, internet age, social media age that we live in plays into this, and the idea that, that well... As we said, it's sort of like I said, a double-edged sword. We've talked about this previously. You know, the idea that anyone, literally anyone, can create a YouTube channel or a website or blog or what have you, uh, put out any sort of information they they'd like, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, what it also leads to, as I sort of alluded to earlier, that's and that sort of free and open exchange of ideas and that marketplace of ideas, and to the extent that the internet could be considered uh, such a thing, uh, you know, it, within that framework. You, you can have anyone say anything, and, and because of that, uh, we've seen, you know, just random anonymous YouTube channels uh, put out those sort of things and focus on fake blood and crisis actors and things of that sort, uh, which to me, again, that is my line of crazy as well. I do feel like it muddies the waters. And um, the sort of the obvious question that I think a lot of people out there listening to this are going to be cons- thinking about and sort of wondering uh, and they all, and I know that people out, and because I see this in comments uh, all the time, you know, name names. Who are the ones we shouldn't trust? You know, <laughs> and that, I never feel like that's my place to to say because I, I always think that you should, you know. Well, <laughs> I was about to say question everything, but that goes back to how we started this conversation. Um, but but anyway, uh, you know, I, I I lost my train of thought there for a second. Sorry, guys. Well, but <laughs> can I just can I just insert there because I think yeah exactly, yeah go ahead. I think go ahead. that exactly touches on the issue because again, people, what are people looking for? They're looking for that voice, that disembodied mm. voice in the media, mm. to tell them what other media entities they should or should not trust. Right. That always boggles my mind when people say, "Well, what's what's your take on this guy? Do you think he's legit? Why on earth should that matter to someone? You have your own perception, you have your own ways of su- sussing that out. Surely, uh, I don't I don't really get people's obsession with getting me to comment on what I think about other media personalities. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I think I just, a lot of that comes from people. Uh, you said the internet age and the social media age having a lot to do with this i think it absolutely does because it's all about mediated reality Mm. this is all about people experiencing something at least one stage deferred from the physical reality right we none of us actually went to boston in the aftermath of that bombing and saw it for ourselves so or did we (laughs) (laughs) but you know what i mean exactly to someone who is saying this is all fake 
what can we actually say to them? We didn't see it with our own eyes. Mm-hmm. So we can't say, I was there, I saw people actually get their legs blown off, that actually happened, because none of us did actually see that. We all saw it through media. So sure. we have essentially the same, from an empirical point of view, we have the same evidence that they have. We're just interpreting it in a different way. And so that's mm-hmm. actually where the struggle, if you like, is occurring in a, the interpretation really of mediated reality. That's and a this very is all interesting I'm and, sorry and, to jump in, Tom, but no, that that's, it has me th- it has me thinking because that's a very interesting point. Because as you were discussing, you know, the sort of evidence that could be had about whether or not a bomb took place or what have you, I was thinking to myself, well, certainly, you know, we didn't see it, but certainly, you know, hundreds if not thousands of people who were there saw it, and and they gave their testimony to media. But but again, as you mentioned, we all saw that through the media. <laughs> I mean, there are none of none. Of, I don't. I'd imagine the three of us didn't interview any of them uh, directly. So. That's a good point, and I hadn't thought of it that way before. Have any of us been to Bulgaria? <laughs> I haven't. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, do we know it exists? No, but have you seen that Bulgarian Communist Party headquarters that looks like a UFO sat on top of a mountain? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm intrigued now. If you've not seen this, type in Bulgarian Communist Party headquarters into an image search. It is the strangest thing. It looks like something out of rollerball on the inside <laughs> it looks like the sort of you know gladiatorial arena rollerball on the inside and from the outside it looks like a ufo stuck on top of a mountain it is possibly the strangest building i've ever seen in my life but well, here, this this goes back to what you said earlier tom about about you know objective truth versus uh, subjective reality and that you know there but there you know there are objective truths i mean we there there really we there is uh, or through research or through an investigation or what have you you can uh, you know come to find out objectively who was actually behind 77 for example you can objectively find the answer to who was behind september 11th for example so there there are, there are objective truths to be found um, but I suppose that, you know, again, biases come into play, confirmation biases come into play, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious as far as maybe looking toward, uh, potential solutions to, to this issue, to this sort of, uh, condition that we find ourselves experiencing, uh, James, you mentioned earlier, you know, how, uh, this, this, this tends to, to sort of pit people against each other, uh, within media, you know, just, you know, they they sort of develop these little camps. Whereas, you know, I, I'm in the crisis actor camp, and you know, <laughs> someone else will be in some other sort of camp. And that, you know, one is obviously uh, to, to to for one's perspective, you know, the other one's completely fake, and they're all you know bought by you know and paid, and they're all FBI informants or what have you. Uh, so, to what extent should we be looking for common ground uh, when trying to come at that objective truth uh, to whatever sort of event that we look at? Well, it occurs to me that maybe we have to actually understand the psychology of what's happening with these types of uh, these these types of explanations that catch on so quickly and and take such kind of explanatory power for a lot of people. Why mm. why is this happening? And I think this might be because uh, there is, of course, the moment when people quote unquote wake up when they start finding out about this information and they start questioning some of these these long held narratives. There is obviously a sense of of powerlessness, of frustration, of helplessness that comes with this because there is this overarching thing that's happening that that the mainstream won't talk about, that, that no one else around me believes in. They all call me crazy. This, what's going on? I'm so powerless and I don't have any way of, of even 
getting at what's happening here uh, other than just you know trying to sort through all these various alternative theories etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and then someone like myself comes along and says well look I mean 9-11 clearly couldn't have happened the way they said it did because of A, B, C, and D but I don't know in explicit detail I don't know down to the letter what happened or who did what at what time um, a lot of that is speculation a lot of that mm-hmm. will only come with further investigation that is an inherently unsatisfactory answer for a lot of people mm-hmm. it is inherently so much more satisfying to say look it was all a staged operation <laughs> it was all a hologram um, because that gives people that thing that they can just latch Clo- onto that is the truth that's yeah. it. exactly it's a type of closure you don't need to do any further investigation or research at that point because it's all fake so just turn off your mind and uh, and just there you go you've got your answer. Sit back, um, kick back, enjoy the show. Yeah, no. And I don't know. I haven't really thought this through of whether that's what connects a lot of the craziest theories. But I mean, if you go to the lizard people idea and things like that, it certainly again provides that type of easy closure without any type of investigative work necessary. Um, it's all an illusion being created by moon men um, in <laughs> in collusion with the lizard men. Um, so, so it does provide that. And, and then the question is, uh, do we want to compete <laughs> with that? Uh, yeah. I don't want to compete with these types of totalizing ideologies where, that say, say to people, don't bother looking into anything because, you know, it's all, it's all fake anyway. Uh, the only valuable thing that you can do is expose, you know, another actor in, in the media or what, what have you. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's the end goal of all of this. And that's where, you know, you productively use your, your research time as opposed to finding out, you know, I mean, in, and inherently thinking about geopolitical matters or economic matters and things like this is not sexy. It's not fun. It's not entertaining. And uh, I don't want to reduce it all to that, but I think that there is an element of that, that people are looking for a type of entertainment. I think there's a lot of people who are involved in this because they think it's somewhat kind of fun in a way. Mm. And, uh, and that, that kind of, you know, disappoints me, I guess, because I, I would like this to be about a, a group of people who are using the incredible power of the Internet in some sort of, you know, open source investigation of, of what's happening in the world to try to combine all of our best talents and interests and, and abilities into something greater than the whole. And here I think that there's the opposite tendency of people just going back to the lowest common denominator in a completely different way. Yeah, and you know that that you mentioned something that I that I wanted to re- I was reflecting on as you were talking about it, and just the the tabloid nature of it is always something that that bothered me. But the idea of it being um, much more psychologically satisfying—that sort of again that closure, that big answer, that all-encompassing theory that, that that answers all of your questions, and you need not worry anymore because it's all figured out. Uh, that that absolutely must have a great deal to do with this phenomenon. As you said, if it's not a hologram and it's not lizard people, then it's Luciferians or globalists. It just you know, just you know, just throwing like, like really broad, vague sort of uh, you know labels out there to group this sort you know uh, you know this big enemy, this unseen enemy that is responsible for all of our problems. That is uh, much easier, and I guess suppose much more satisfying to do that than it is to do the hard you know, research or ask, you know, solid questions that lead to to regal answers. That is a very, very good point. Uh, I'd like to get your thoughts on that, Tom. Well, as always, I'll respect James's right to speak his own mind. But as far as I'm concerned, I am fun, sexy and entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't deny that. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, yeah, and I think well, that's I think, you know, there's a there's a there's an element of I mean, I'm I'm having fun talking to you, to you guys right now. I've said this before on 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 other programs. I think with the with the two of you also that I think that we can, as I said in the beginning of this of this of this uh, podcast as well, uh, I do enjoy having conversations like this, even if we could be talking about just about anything, and uh, doing so in a sort of uh, more casual manner, uh, uh, inserting humor when we can. Just first of all, because that's just my personality. That's just kind of who I am. Uh, talking about this, uh, you know, with friends of mine, uh, while I'm not doing a, a podcast, while I'm not recording, I'm talking about it in the very same way. So that's it's much more natural for me to do it like this. Uh, but also, I do think that as you as you said, Tom, earlier, it does sort of take that that sort of fear and the the sort of hatred that that one can then one often witnesses within these sort of conversations sometimes on the internet. It does remove it, and I think we can get to more basic truths that way. That's just how I feel. But uh, you were saying, Tom, I'm sorry to have interrupted you. No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, well, I think. I mean, I think. We've got to establish, like James says, the, the the psychological motivation for pursuing this sort of thing. And and I, again, I will come back to what I said at the top of the show. You've got to think, where are most people coming from? Most people are coming from a culture that they have embraced for however long in their life they've embraced it before they encountered something that made them seriously question it. Um, and that was a culture that gave them simple answers and grand overarching narratives and grand overarching ideologies and said, you know, these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, and it's really simple and black and white and binary. And so then they find something that makes them think, oh, maybe these guys aren't our enemies. Maybe those guys aren't actually my friends. Maybe the, the whole dynamic is actually different. And so then they're thinking, so what, what new narrative and ideology and dynamic and understanding do I erect in that place? And of course, they're going to go back to the instincts that have been encouraged in them, which is towards simple answers, simple narratives, simple ideologies. And so I suppose in, in trying to counter this and in trying to constructively find a way to help push the truth movement beyond this craziness, um, we have to actually encourage people to break with that entire attitude, that entire attitude of, oh, I need a overarching explanation because that almost invariably leads to, I need an authority to explain what that overarching narrative should be. Hmm. And that comes back to exactly what you were experiencing before, James, that people are asking you, oh, what do you, <clears throat> sorry, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about that guy? What do you think about this website? What do you think about that website? Which one should I trust? And of course, the answer is, you make the damn judgment yourself. That's the empowering thing, is being able to make the judgment yourself. It's something that's not really encouraged in us by anything about mainstream culture, but mm. it is something we're all capable of. And so I think one of the answers is to keep emphasizing that to people, that you have the ability to make this judgment yourself. And that doesn't mean having to construct an entire grand narrative yourself. It just means keep exploring, keep defining the limits of your, what you think is sane and what you think is crazy yourself and keep revising those limits be willing to accept things that lie beyond your existing limits, but don't just let it be a free-for-all and don't just let everything flood into your head because then you'll have no chance of sorting it out. So, yeah, I, th I think that is probably the message that, <coughs> that I feel is most missing from the truth movement when it comes to this stuff, is that you can make the decisions, you can make the judgments, you can, make, you can impose your, your own values and standards 
onto this entire dialogue and onto your process of discovery and investigation and research. And in fact, that is fundamentally what the truth movement should be. And when it is that, and some people are like that, quite a lot of people actually I think are like that, that's mm -hmm. when the truth movement does its best work. So I think by emphasizing all of that, we can counter some of this, this uh, the momentum of this pessimistic and nihilistic attitude that does seem to be growing in the truth movement and is, I agree with you, is utterly, utterly poisonous. I think that's one of the best ways to counter it. Well, let me just applaud that summation because I think that's the perfect way of framing this conversation. Um, because, I, again, I, the point of this conversation isn't to say, here's my crazy line, no, everyone else, please respect it. Mm -hmm. it, it the point is to say, well, it, no, we all have these crazy lines, but we do have to be continually questioning them. And we do have to we do have to be open to to revisions of our crazy line at every and any possibility with the presentation of evidence. And uh, again, that's a, that's a continual process that needs Needs to happen but i think we have to be aware that we have a crazy line we have to be aware that that everyone has that i mean at some point everyone draws that crazy line we have to be aware that exists and we have to explore where that exists for us and why it exists for us we have to question what are our fundamental assumptions are those fundamental assumptions based on reality and if so what what are the basis for these these are things we actually have to think about and 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 be conscious of as long as we're conscious of this process i think that we have a chance of combating you know the 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 craziness um from seeping in or the or for the the reactionary you know oh this this is too crazy i can't accept it from from keeping us back from exploring certain subjects so again i i would just like to stress again um exactly as you did there the, the point of this isn't for me to tell people what's crazy the point of this is to say that we have to at least be aware that there is this 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 crazy line that we all have and we have to understand our own basis for drawing that line and uh, and and maybe interrogate those assumptions so um, I think you just said it a lot better than I summarized it. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. No, I, I, I agree with the both of you. And uh, I think you both summed it up quite well. And so I won't even try. <laughs> uh, no, sum uh, up my summation. <laughs> you know, and I was going to bring up something else that I felt was related to this conversation. But I think we'll save that for some other time. Because there's been a lot of talk uh, this week, uh, especially about the use of uh, sock puppet accounts and uh, anonymous uh, blogs and things like that uh, to be used to, uh, you know, directly discredit uh, people in the media. You, you both might know what I'm talking about here. Uh, and in fact, this is really uh, what I found curious about this. Is, well, interesting anyway, is that um, it's now being talked about a lot uh, this past week. But in fact, it's really nothing new. Um, this was, uh, I, I believe, first discovered by, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Barrett Brown and went through Project PM and, and looking at all that uh, information that he found about the persona management and sock puppets and whatnot. But uh, it, I guess, like I said, it, it, it relates in a way to that, uh, the, the sort of what, what you introduced earlier, James, James about the, the potential for there being uh, some level of intentionality behind this, uh, you know, purposeful disinformation or what have you to discredit uh, the truth movement as a whole. Uh, so I think it fits within that sort of dynamic that we're discussing, but I feel like if we begin talking about it as I just did. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> exactly. I think that is a good conversation for maybe next time. I, Indeed. I think that's, yeah. Um, but, uh, okay, well, perhaps we can, 
uh, of course, you guys can sum up in whatever you, way you want, but I'd like to leave the uh, listeners with a homework assignment, actually twofold. Um, first of all, Tom, you provided that excellent list of uh, movies that, that uh, have implanted some of these ideas in our minds, and I agree with you about those choices. I would add to that list something that I thought of um, as soon as we started talking about this conversation, Running Man, um, which I haven't seen since I was about nine years old. Um, <laughs> Starring, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse the Body, or the Mind, or the Governor, or whatever he is, Ventura, um, uh, and the uh, one of the characters in there was actually a completely fictitious character that was created completely digitally. Um, so that was uh, that, and that was from the '80s, I believe. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, that one goes back a, a, quite a while. So so the homework for the uh, listener out there would be. What other movies are we missing in this? I'm sure this idea mm. has been implanted elsewhere. Um, what else are we um, not thinking about there? And then the second one, um, while we were talking, I looked up the abandoned Communist Party headquarters in Bulgaria <laughs> at darkroastedblend.com and agree, it is probably the strangest building I've ever seen in my life. So if listeners can find a stranger building, please let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Um, <laughs> Tom, any, any parting words from you, Matt? Well, just to, to re-emphasize what I said before, that this is about, uh, I suppose, ultimately valuing your own judgment. That's what it kind of comes down to, is rather than trying to defer onto a particular media organ or a particular media personality or any other authority figure or authority mechanism of any kind, take on the responsibility and the right of that authority for yourself. And that is actually how you confront the, the nihilism and the pessimism and the over-skepticism and the general craziness that we've been talking about here. Um, and, yeah, if you don't believe that, great, because that actually means you're rejecting my authority <laughs> as well. <laughs> no, perfect. I mean, it's, it's, it, it is that simple, isn't it? Think for yourself. It's, you know, so easy to say, but unfortunately, for some reason, so difficult to do for, for a lot of people. But uh, And, it, it, you know, it really isn't easy to say because hmm. just I'd like the listeners to reflect on the fact that if the three of us were here offering one of those complete totalizing narratives that explained everything, we would be a lot more popular than we are. We would have a much further reach, bigger audience. We'd have a devoted acolytes worshiping at our feet. And mm. I, I say that only half-jestingly. I mean, there really are people who will go absolutely crazy for any sort of totalizing idea like that and, and will be devoted followers of people who promote their, their particular um, ideas. Sure. So, that is... Uh after all, the appeal of, of cults and cults of personality. I mean, that's that goes back to what you were talking about, or just a fundamental psychological uh, condition happening there. You're absolutely right. We probably would uh, be, be much, uh, uh, I don't know, I was going to say better off, but no, I meant to like, we, we, we'd have that sort of gigantic uh, uh, sized audience, uh, those devotees, as you mentioned. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do hope that that conversations like this uh, do you come to be better appreciated that there are those, uh, <laughs> I, I call them the, the, the beard letarians out there, <laughs> listeners of the beard, beard world order, uh, that do appreciate uh, just the simply asking important questions uh, and, and, and a lot of self-reflection uh, that we've had throughout our, all of our conversations thus far that, honestly, I do not see happening uh, out there. I don't think it happens enough. Enough self-reflection, maybe even self-criticism, looking at oneself and thinking about the things that one could do better or one's own faults. Typically, those aren't expressed <laughs> to an audience or on a platform such as this. So um, I, I think it's a good thing. 
I, I like the fact that you both are, are comfortable enough in your own skin to do that also. Uh, so I very much appreciate both of you uh, doing that with me here today, and hopefully we'll do it again next month. What do you looking guys forward say? to it. Excellent. How about you, Tom? Just want to make sure you're looking forward to it also. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I am. I am. I am also looking forward to doing this again. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I'm sorry. Anyway, okay. <laughs> I guess we'll leave it there. Uh, that'll wrap it up for now. I hope, again, you guys will come back and join us uh, next month. Uh, I guess we're doing this a monthly podcast here with uh, Tom Secker of SpyCulture.com, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and myself, Guillermo Jimenez of TracesOfReality.com. Come back and join us then for another episode of Beard World Order. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>